Thank you, Gloria. Wasn't that beautiful? Majesty. We've sung it before many times at the breaking of bread, and every time we sing it, the word majesty just fits our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you address a king or a queen, you have to say, your majesty. And you don't just say your majesty, you have to bow before the sovereign of the, of the world to give them the respect and the honor that's due to them. How much more honor and glory and respect is due to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is worthy of all our devotion, all our dedication, all our surrender and obedience. May the Lord encourage us uh, from his word today. Shall we just look to him once more in a word of prayer? Father, we pray that you will lead us today by your Holy Spirit into the word of God, that you will give us understanding and wisdom, that you will give us conviction where it's needed, challenge, that you will encourage us as we walk through this journey in the wilderness in this world. Lord, we're sensing that we're coming close to the end. And we pray, Lord, as we get closer to the end, we pray that we will have increased fervor and, and vigor and dedication to you to serve you with the best that we have. And we pray now, Lord, that you will hide me behind the cross. Please speak through your word and speak to our hearts, to where we're at in our lives today. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I didn't know Gloria was going to be singing Majesty today, but the opening illustration of the message goes right along with that subject of majesty. Because one day Queen Elizabeth I commissioned one of the rich merchants of England to go on a special important mission for the crown. Now the man considered it, I'm sure, an honor to do that, but he was a rich man. He owned his own business and he was concerned that if he was to leave his business for an extended period of time, what would happen to his business? I mean, he would he could lose money, he could lose influence in, in his business. And so he was about to decline the invitation. Can you imagine saying to the queen, Your Majesty, I am sorry, I cannot take on this assignment because I have to take care of my business. He would be putting his business before the business of the crown before the queen's business. And when the queen felt his, his reluctance, she said to him and assured him, you go and look after my business and I will look after yours. And it's an amazing story. And upon his return, guess what? He was richer than when he left. Because guess what? The queen lived up to her promise. She took care of his business while he was on her business. And whatever service we do for the Lord, he will take care of you in it. No matter what sacrifice you make in terms of time or money or any other thing, the Lord will never be a debt to anyone. He always repays, he always rewards, and he always gives recognition to his servants. And we're so thankful that we can serve him in the king's business. And the title of our message this morning is this, Usefulness for the Master. He wants us to be useful for Him. I was just talking to our dear brother Rudy, Dr. Rudy, this morning, and he was asking me what you were speaking on. And I said, Usefulness 
for the master. And he was thinking about, he says, well, I'm, you know, I'm getting a little old right now. And I said, Rudy, I said, you and the other gentleman sitting next to you, and I referred to Brother Dave Thompson, are two of the most useful vessels that we have in our church. And we thank the Lord for them, don't we? Because of the wisdom that they have and the knowledge of God's word and the experience over the years that they've had walking with the Lord and serving him. Another one is our dear brother Adel. And there are many others, too, that we are we consider them indispensable. That's why we'd all like to go to heaven at the same time at the rapture. So we don't have to have some going here ahead of us and and so forth. But whatever the Lord's will is. But we oftentimes hear the expression, it's an old-time expression. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I'm sure you are. And the expression goes like this, make yourself useful. Have you ever heard that expression, make yourself useful? Usually it's a person sitting around doing nothing. It's usually somebody just just loafing around and then and then you say to that person, make yourself useful. Do something that has a purpose. Do something that'll, that'll really be helpful for someone else. And that's the way it is in the Christian life. We should be making ourselves useful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not to say we shouldn't be useful in all our roles, whether we're fathers or mothers, parents, whether we're workers at, at our job, own our own business, whatever it is, we should always be useful. We should always be those who give of their best. And when we sing that song, and it really touched my heart, give of your best to the master. You know, if you were to invite your boss over, Alan, for a nice dinner, right? What would you think about having on the, on the menu uh, McDonald's, right? You invite him over and you say, well, we have your choice tonight. You can either have the Big Mac, the Quarter Pounder with cheese, Or you can have the nuggets. We have a great selection. And guess what for dessert? We have the apple pie, right? What kind of thing would you... What would the boss think? You invite him over to your house for for dinner. Or you say, guess what? We're having you over to dinner tonight. Oh, what are you having? We're having leftovers tonight. We're having leftovers. It was so good last night. We're reheating it in the microwave for you. And boy, you're going to love it, right? No, you wouldn't do that. You'd cook a fresh meal, a good meal, and you'd do it from the heart. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to give of our best to Him. Not to do a shoddy job, but to do the best that we can give. And our text this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 21 and 22, a familiar passage. And here the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy says this, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, actually, yes. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself for the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Can we put it back to verse 20 also? I gave you the wrong one. Sorry, Ed. The one ahead of it in verse 20. You'll get that up in a second. But the idea of it is this that there are vessels. And it says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. You know, we all have around our houses some things, and sometimes we keep them in china cabinets, sometimes we keep them 
put away and stored away. Beautiful china, beautiful goblets and things that we get. And how often do we use them? Not very often, but they're gold and they're silver and they're very nice. Just the other day, Jeff was talking about that and how we, we get these things and we don't use them. We save for our everyday use the common ones. But when we think about our service for the Lord and giving of the best that we have, we want to put out the best for him. We want to put about the best effort, the best that we can give to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And today we're going to look at three things that go into being a useful vessel for the Lord. Number one, being profitable. And they all begin with P. Ed brought that up. Or uh, Brad did. He said, you got the three Ps today. I said, yeah. So we have being profitable, being productive, and being prosperous for the Lord. Well, first of all, being profitable. And when I think in the New Testament, there are two people that come to mind that were once not profitable, once not useful, once not one you would want to associate with because they were they were not really living up to being useful servants. The first one is Onesimus. Now, he was the slave of Philemon, who was a godly Christian, and they had a church in their house. So you know Philemon shared the gospel with him probably many, many times, and he knew the truth. But for Onesimus, that wasn't for him. He didn't want to hear it. And so he served, but every day you can imagine hearing the gospel, hearing the truth, being convicted, but not wanting it. So one day he decided, I'm taking off. I'm going to the big city. You know, uh, one day, um, we well, we have around here, we have a big city in San Francisco. We have Oakland, San Jose. We have big cities in New York and we have Paris and London and all these big cities. And somehow it has the attraction to people with the lights glowing and everything like that, that that's the place to be. And yet how many people have gone off seeking their fortune to these big cities only to come back uh, disappointed because it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. And that's really what happened with Onesimus. And reading in between the lines in Philemon, you you get the idea from what Paul says to Philemon when he writes back that probably Philemon stole something. He probably took some things with him on the way out and then left for, for Rome, the big city Rome, where the action was. But guess what? Once a thief, always a thief. So he was arrested, I'm sure, by the Roman authorities, and he was put into prison. And we know that because Paul mentions it when he writes back to Philemon in his little letter that he writes back that he led Onesimus to the Lord. And so here it was, he was running away from the truth, running away from the gospel, running away from anything to do with Christ. And guess who he ends up with? The great apostle Paul who shared his faith with him in love. And this man Onesimus got saved. And Paul loved Onesimus. He almost considered him like a son. And he didn't want to send him back to Philemon, really. He wanted to keep him with him because he was useful to him. But what he does, he wants to honor Philemon. And he says, I'm going to send him back, but no longer as a slave, but as a dear brother. And so when writing to Philemon, he says in Philemon chapter 1 and verses 10 and 11, 
I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whose name, by the way, means unprofitable, whom I have begotten in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but is now profitable to you and to me. And Paul could have added there to the kingdom of God. And so when Paul writes this back, he's saying, this isn't the same Onesimus that ran away. This isn't the same Onesimus who, who treated you that way and, and didn't appreciate what you gave him and what you did for him. And I'm sure Philemon was a great person to have over him, but he didn't want it. But now he's going back and he's telling him now he is a dear brother. Once he was unuseful, unprofitable, maybe no good. Maybe you wouldn't consider him good at all. But now, because he's saved, he's good. I was mentioning about the fact that we saw that movie on Friday night. It's a documentary on Steve McQueen and how the Lord touched his life and how he left Hollywood and how he got saved and went up to to Idaho and he died at a young age of cancer and so forth. But he had a definite change in his life. He was a truly born-again believer. And whether you're a famous person like him or, or anyone, when the Lord changes your life, he wipes the slate clean, like he did with Onesimus. He wipes it clean. It's all behind you now. It's all under the blood. It's all forgiven. You have a new life in Christ. And that's the best thing about being a Christian, is we have so much to be thankful for now, and we'll have even more to be thankful for when we get to heaven. As we heard this morning, he's gone to prepare a place for us and he's going to come back and take us home to heaven. So we have eternal life. The second one, and I've spoken on him once before too, his name is John Mark. He was the writer of Mark's gospel and he was a friend of Peter because Peter had an influence on him too. But when Paul and Barnabas went out on their first missionary journey, they took this young man, John Mark, with them. And John's Mark's uh, mother, they had a prayer meeting going on in the book of Acts. You see it there in his mother's house. So he grew up in a Christian home and he was a Christian. He was a believer and he wanted to serve the Lord and he had zeal. And he went out with Paul and Barnabas and they they went out on the first missionary journey and they won souls to Christ and planted churches. And in the middle of the mission, right in the middle of the mission, John Mark says, I'm going home. I'm going back to Jerusalem. Why, John Mark, are you going back to Jerusalem? We don't know the answer to that question. That's the thing that sometimes in Scripture, it doesn't tell you all those details. We have to wait till we get to heaven and ask him, why did you go back home? Were you homesick? Was the mission too difficult? Was there too much sacrifice involved? Was it too hard? Was the persecution too intense? What was it? We don't know. But he went back to Jerusalem and it broke Paul's heart. It broke his heart. And you can tell because later on, when Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them again, when they went out, Paul said, absolutely not. No way. In our expressions we have nowadays, we might say, over my dead body, we're taking this kid with us, right? He left us right in the middle of the of the work. He left us in the lurch. I mean, he left the work. No, we're not going to take him back. And Barnabas being who? The son of encouragement, 
who was always encouraging people, said we should give him another chance. Paul, we should give him another chance. But they were at odds with each other. We know the story. They split up. Barnabas took John with him, John Mark with him. They, he went, they went to Cyprus to serve the Lord. And then Paul took Silas with him as commissioned by the Lord, and they went out and served. Later on, Paul had a change of heart. He had a change of mind. And as he thought about it, he thought, we need to bring him back. And it tells us this in the scriptures that that's exactly what they did. And sometimes in the Lord's work, it gets tough, don't, doesn't it? Doesn't it get tough sometimes? Sometimes you feel like giving up. Sometimes the opposition is too much. Sometimes the difficulties, the fears that we have are too much. But somehow, Paul said we need to give him a second chance. And aren't we thankful that God didn't give up on us? He gave us a second chance. Sometimes he gave us a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. Whatever number of chances are needed, God's mercy never runs out. Like it says in the end of the psalm, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So God is in the business of giving people second chances and I'm glad he did because just think what would happen if he didn't give second chances. What would have happened to Jonah? What would have happened to Peter? What would have happened to other people that didn't do well in the beginning, but then they repented and, and went on. And later on in Paul writing to Timothy in chapter two, chapter four and verse 11, second Timothy four eleven, he says this. He says, only Luke is with me. Now get this. He says, get Mark and bring him with you for he is what? Useful to me for ministry. Here was a man that Paul was insisting. No, he's not going to go. But he had a change of heart because he's felt the compassion and he says, we need Mark. Go get him and bring him with you. He's useful to me for ministry. That's encouraging. So on our first point this morning, if you want to be useful for the master, you have to be profitable. And we can only be profitable to the Lord if we're saved. You can't be profitable to the Lord if you're not saved. There's no way. You may be a good person. You may be a religious person. You may go to church. You may give your money to the church. You may be philanthropic and do all kinds of things. But if you're not saved, all that means nothing. But when you know the Lord, then you can really be a profitable servant and you can be used of God. Secondly, not only profitable, but we need to be productive. When, when we talk about productiveness in the New Testament especially, we talk about it in terms of bearing fruit. Now, if you had a fruit tree, I'll ask Matt this question. If you had a fruit tree in your yard and you, you planted it, you did everything for it, but it didn't bear any fruit, what are you going to do? You're going to, what are you going to do? You're going to get rid of it, right? You're going to go back to the store you bought. I bought this, this tree and it's not producing fruit. And that's the way it is in the Christian life. We're not here just to take up a, a seat or as they say, a pew, a seat in the pew or whatever. We're here to serve the Lord. We want to be useful to the master. The time is short. Jesus says the night is coming when no man can work. And so he wants us to be useful for him. He wants us to be productive for him. 
And in Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse 9, when Moses writes to the children of Israel and he's writing to the young people, the ones that were going into the promised land, all the people of that older generation had died because of unbelief. But he says in verse 9 of Deuteronomy 30, The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your father. So may the Lord help us to be productive. They use that term a lot in sports nowadays. How productive are you? And they have all these analysis, you know, in baseball now, they, they have it uh, where they study all these things about how things work and and then the same thing in basketball and football. They're studying the statistics and everything. But if you're not productive, where are you going to be? On the bench. If you're even on the team. Even if you, you know, if you make the team, but you're not productive, you're not going to be in the starting lineup. You're not going to be given many minutes like in basketball or, or, or get much play in football or whatever sport it is you're talking about. The same is true in the business world. They are looking for people to be productive. If you're not productive, you can be the nicest person and come in on to work and everything. But if you're not producing, they're going to fire you. They're going to say, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let you go. So we want to be productive and we want to be productive for the Lord. He is worthy of it. Just like we sang in the hymn, give of your best to the master. And the question is this. Ask yourself this question. How productive am I for the Lord? Can he count on me to give my best to him? Are we what are we achieving? You know, you look back on your life and talk about getting older, Brother Rudy. We look back in our lives and we want to say, how, how much have I been useful to the Lord? How much have I been profitable and productive? And God wants us to realize our potential. He gives us the gifts and the abilities, the talents and the skills to serve Him. And it's about us then using that for His glory. And the story is told of a Chicago area school teacher. Shauna, you're going to like this one. Last time we had an analogy for Jim Welsh about the jewelry business. Today we got teaching for Shauna and for Adam. Well, this teacher had a class of incorrigible sixth graders. Now, just the word incorrigible, if you don't know what it means, it means beyond hope of of change, of, of, of anything good coming out of it. That's probably what the term they would have used with Onesimus. He's incorrigible. He's never going to change. He's never going to amount to anything. Well, that's what she thought about her grade of sixth grade, her class of sixth graders. They misbehaved. They didn't study. They didn't turn in their assignments on time. They were giving her the hardest time every day. And she thought, she started to think maybe these kids are really mentally deficient. Maybe they, maybe they, they really uh, don't have it up here to, to handle to handle this. So she said, I probably shouldn't do it. I probably shouldn't do it, but I'm going to go down to the principal's office where they keep the files. And probably in those days they didn't have it locked or they didn't have it all on computers. They had physical files that you could you could read. So she says, I want to check out their IQs. So I'm going to go to the files. And so she went to the files and she opened it up. And much to her shock, she saw numbers on there that she couldn't believe. 
she saw numbers ranging from 120 to 130 on there. And she saw one of them had, had, a, had a score of 145. These kids are smart. They just need motivation. They just need to work hard. I'm going to crack down on them. So she went back with a new resolve and a new purpose to teach these kids. And so she was going to, she piled on all the homework she could. She challenged them. She uh, cracked down the whip on their behavior. And so she really did a fantastic job so that at the end of the school year, the principal came up to her with a big smile. And he said to her, Mrs. Miss Jones, you have done a fantastic job with these students. I can't believe it. Their test scores are so high. They've done so well. Their grades are so high. There's been tremendous improvement by all of them. And she says, well, Mr. Smith, I, I, I've got to, I've got to uh, make a confession here. I went into the files and I looked at their IQ scores. I was really curious. I, I shouldn't have done it. I know I shouldn't have done it. Well, he says, well, Miss Jones, you weren't looking at their IQ scores. You were looking at their locker numbers. <laughs> it's amazing what people can do. And she took that wrong information that she had, but look how she got them to learn. And it just goes to show if you give people a chance and you give it and you push them and you challenge them, you can really have some good success. And thank God that he doesn't let us stay where we're at, does he? He wants us to grow. He wants us to do more and be more profitable and productive and prosperous in our Christian lives. God loves us so much and he has a plan for us. And he doesn't look at us right now how we are. He sees us how we can be. He looks at our potential. When we get saved, he looked at Paul and he says, that man is going to be the greatest apostle that has been on the face of the earth. How did he know it? He was a persecutor of the church. He was a Pharisee. He was killing Christians, imprisoning them, and doing all these kinds of things. But God sees beyond the present performance that we have and looks beyond it to the potential that we have for him and says, I know you can be great. I know you can do the job. I know you can serve me. I know you can be useful for me. He doesn't give up on you and he doesn't give up on me. And he has a plan for us. And so not only is it important for us as useful servants to be profitable and productive, but it's also important for us to be prosperous as well. And one of my favorite verses in the book of Joshua chapter 1 is verse 7 where the Lord is actually speaking to Joshua after Moses has passed away and the Lord take, took him home to heaven and now Joshua is the responsible one to lead the people into the promised land. Here the Lord says to him, "Be only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn to the right or hand or to the left that you may prosper in whatever you do. That word prosper is a beautiful word, especially in the context of our Christian life. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to be successful. He wants us to do well so that when we get home to heaven and he gives us crowns, 
we can then take those crowns and present them back to him and lay them at his feet and say, all glory to you, Lord. I couldn't have won this crown without you. And so the Lord give us encourage, gives us encouragement to be spiritually prosperous. Now, he, it doesn't mean he's not concerned about the other areas of our lives too, but he wants us to grow in our spiritual life, in our walk with the Lord. That's the most important growth we can have. That's where our prosperity needs to be, first and foremost. But after that, he's also considering, considering he wants us to be prosperous in school. He wants your kids to get good grades. Because if you don't get good grades, you're not going to college. Unless you've got a father that's got $200,000 that can... Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Hire a proctor to take the test for you so you can get in. I mean, we're all familiar with the cheating scandal. That's not the way to do it, guys. You have to work hard. You have to study hard to get good grades so that you can go to... a college and graduate and get a good job to be prosperous in this world. He wants to prosper our family lives, husbands and wives together, good marriages, good families. He wants to prosper us in our jobs, in every area of our life, but first and foremost, in our relationship to him. That is what consider, is considered the most important because all the other things will then fall into place. If our relationship with the Lord is good and we're useful servants for him, he will bless us. And who in the New Test, in the Old Testament does this remind you of, of somebody that God prospered? And his name would be Joseph. When Joseph was a young man, he had these dreams. Remember the dreams he had? And his father even rebuked him because one of them was about the stars and everything and they would bow down and he said, our my, you and your, uh, my, myself and, and, and your mother and all of the, uh, your siblings here, your brothers, are they all going to bow down to you? Well, that's exactly what happened later on. But in between those two times, look at all the hardships he went through. He was sold into slavery by his brothers and terrible. And then he served in Potiphar's house, who was a, a wealthy man and a successful man in, the, in that time. And, of course, he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He got put into prison. But then the Lord had, not only did he prosper him in Potiphar's house, because he made him successful, he made him prosperous, but then even in the prison, they put him in charge of all the other prisoners. All this was in keeping with God's timing and God's will until finally the call came from Pharaoh to come and be the prime minister. I mean, it was hard. It was a lot of trials and a lot of difficulties. A lot of people would have given up long before Joseph did, but he didn't. And so he realized that if I'm going to prosper, God has to prosper me. And that's the kind of prospering we want to have. So let's remember as we conclude the message this morning that God wants you and he wants me to be useful servants for him. He wants us to be profitable in our walk with Him, profitable in our service for Him, giving our best to Him, not anything less. And to do so, it takes surrender. We have to surrender to the Lord's will. It takes obedience, it takes dedication, and most of all, it takes devotion. And when we have that kind of a spirit, and we say, Lord, help me to be profitable today and every day, 
Help me to be productive for your kingdom and for your glory. Help me to be prosperous in all that I do for you. He will honor that request that we make and he will turn us into profitable servants. May the Lord encourage us that he gives us many chances, many opportunities to be fruitful and to give our all to him. And may the Lord help us to prosper spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally. The question is for us, and I leave it with you today, how useful am I for the Master? And how much more useful can I be for Him? May the Lord encourage us to be more useful for our Lord. Doesn't He deserve it? He really does because of what He did for us. He considered you and I worth enough to die on the cross for our sins. Can you imagine that? He loved us enough and considered us worthy enough. He says, Alan, I'm going to die for you. Milton, I'm going to die for you. Adriana, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give my life so that you can be my child and you can serve me. And may the Lord encourage us. And I've been thinking about this subject quite a bit and it really challenges me. Before I go to bed at night, I've been thinking about this. Lord, I want to be more useful. I want to be more productive, more prosperous, and more profitable for your kingdom and for your glory. The time is short, beloved brothers and sisters. We are short. The time is going to come when we're going to be taken home to be with the Lord, and we won't be able to serve Him on earth anymore. We'll be in His presence, which will be far better, but we want to use the time that we have left to serve the Lord. So may the Lord encourage our heart. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. And we thank you that he gives us second chances and third chances and many chances. We thank you that on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, after Peter had denied him three times, Father, three times you ask him, Lord Jesus, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it broke his heart and it crushed him. He felt so bad that he had denied you, Lord. But you didn't end his career right there. You didn't say, well, I can't use you anymore, Peter. You blew it. You did too, too bad a thing here. No, he gave him a chance. He says, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. And we thank you that Peter went on to be a great apostle, a great evangelist, and won many people to Christ. All because you, Lord Jesus, loved him, gave him another chance, gave him the opportunity to be useful again, just like you did with Onesimus and John Mark. Lord, we thank you that we can never go too far from where your mercy and grace cannot reach us. And so we pray you'll bless us now as we go to our homes, help us to have good fellowship today with one another. And Lord, we look forward to meeting back tomorrow night here at church for the women's dinner, men's prayer meeting. Lord, we just commit everything to you now and thank you for, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.